such a pleasure to be here tonight. The idea of this talk came uh, over a number of conversations that I had initially with David Hines last year. I was supposed to do an interview with him and the interview was about everything but the subject of the interview. <laughs> and actually that interview evolved into a lot of conversation and uh, through David I came to know Johnny and then through Johnny I came to know all the beautiful families they have. And so the sacred space, let me start from here. Over the last year, I've done some uh, research and public history work in Ballinafa area in Belfast. I started to document some oral histories from people who have lived here, people who feel they belong to this place, and people who have a history with Ballinafa. In a number of interviews, I was shared about how fate has been critical to the life of Badinafai. And that was very interesting to me to, to explore and find out what actually that fate was. Because in a secularized world, we are often into and understanding that fate is something only f to be found in a private sphere. But working in Balinafai, I started to feel how that was part of the everyday life, but also how that had shaped the history. I recall this testimony, which was uh, validated in a number of others. Uh, one of the long-standing members of Balinafai community shared with me that during the years of trouble, when a member of a Protestant community had died due to conflict, I mean, had been killed, the Protestant minister was always accompanied by a Catholic priest to visit the family of the deceased and to take part in the funeral. I recall hearing that story, and I started to think of how accompaniment could be seen as a spiritual task. As people of conscience, we choose the people and causes we will accompany, sometimes throughout our lifetimes. It's like seeing and hearing their presence and thinking of our presence, how that makes God present to others. How we can form connections that act as a way of remembering how each of us can be a remembrance to one another. I started to think how we can remind ourselves and others of the deepest part of our being. And I take this uh, from the Quran, 
which says, in each human being, there is a meeting point with the divine. And that intersection is the heart. It is in the heart that the remembrance happens. Speaking of this, I would like to share some reflections on my own personal journey of the experiences of life in South Asia, West Asia, and short trips to the Balkans and Ireland, and how this has expanded my ideas of the sacred, but also has formed the many ways that the sacred can contribute to the life of people who are dealing with traumas, dealing with conflict, dealing with loneliness. I take you to South Asia. South Asia countries including Brunei, Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, Singapore, Malaysia. There are close to 300 million Muslims living in South Asia. Including, uh, this is of course only one of the religion, but the reason I am only focusing on Muslims here is because I want to share one particular story which is related to a market in Malaysia which is uh, run by women. And I want to share the story of that market and tell you how I see that market as a sacred space. When thinking of market, we don't often think of it as a sacred space. But let's listen to the story. For those of us who have traveled to South Asia, even Southeast Asia, places like India, we know that shopping is a significant ritual in day-to-day -day life. It is not just about purchasing goods, but a way of connecting, knowing, and communicating with the others. Shopping initiates the conversation where you, as a buyer, start sharing parts of your life as you hear from the seller. You don't just buy and leave. You engage in a lengthy process of bargaining through which you actually share thoughts, sentiments, drink, and smiles. And it might happen that you don't even buy anything at the end. I have had this experience a lot of times in India. And at the end, when I didn't want to buy what I had asked initially, the shopper basically came after me and offered it for one-fifth of the price. And I knew it wasn't just because he wanted to sell something, but because we spent nearly half an hour talking about it. And he heard about me and I heard about him. And how that whole communication formed the way we spoke. And I recall once I had my shopping bags in my right hand, and I came to pay the shopper with my left hand. And he looked at me and said, can you pay me with your right hand? just want to tell you about how that mannerism and communication is so much part of that ritual of shopping, which 
looking at the way the shopping malls are constructed in a very modern world, that spirit is fully out of imagination. Going back to this story, look at those markets in Southeast Asia. This is where Islam came to Southeast Asia. Islam came as a trading religion with merchants and traders who traveled from Arabia, Persia, and North Africa. Historically, in Southeast Asia, there had been many women traders. When Muslim traders arrived to the East, they married the local women who often had high standing in the community. And this led to a multiracial society. And one example is North Kalantan, which is a Western Peninsula in Malaysia, and bordering Thailand. The gold trade there is exclusively done by women up to this day. And most women you meet, they know better English than men. They know market Arabic, Chinese, Taiwan Chinese, and they're quite well affirmed with the multicultural society that they live in. This particular market, which I find interesting, is called City Khadija. City Khadija market is a local wet market that people bring fruits and vegetables and food stuff. Khadija is a name of Prophet Muhammad's wife, who was known for her trading and uh, business at a time. And this market is named after her and is mostly run by women. Looking at the market, at the images of the market, I would think how we can reconnect with the divine in that space. How can we see when the faith is expanded to the everyday ritual of women engaging in rituals, providing a space for the communities, for their children, but also for us to rethink about what the sacred landscape means to us in a place that rituals are not static? Coming to Iran, my own country, I've always been fascinated how the grand mosques are adjacent to the grand bazaars in every city. And I don't think that's just a convenient of a historical urban planning or uh, just a structure for a city, but I think there is something that forms the spirit and how the people in those areas have been imagining the sacred landscape. That the market is not disconnected from the mosque. And public space is what connects these two. And the people are what create that dynamic ritual between all these three. Another thing which uh, fascinates me is that uh, what is sacred is sacred for everyone. Like if you are in India and there is a mosque and there is a bazaar and then there is a temple, the whole area is sacred for everyone. 
disregarding the religion because people are sharing the landscape. The shopkeeper close to the mosque might be a Hindu, but the shopkeeper close to the temple might be a Muslim, and so on. So here, I would like to think of how, by sharing the rituals and leaving the rituals, people are extending the sacred. In my own work as a researcher, I have uh, worked in a number of post-war geographies. And I have observed how the, how the faith is practiced as an everyday phenomenon and how people make sense of faith in their everyday life. How faith gives meaning to their everyday life at the times that it's most difficult to keep faith. But also how people connect to each other through values given to spaces, times, and practices. What I've found is that living in so many places can give a different perspective to our understanding of the sacred. It also offers us an expansive view to the multiplicity of what sacred means to us. As a woman who challenges the marginalization of women in institutionalized religion, this struggle for exploring the multiplicity of the sacred has been part of my faith. And I have always tried to take inspiration from other women and other marginalized groups who have uh, found ways of spirituality that goes beyond the institutional religion. I look at it as a way of resistance. I look at the Sufi women, how they create spaces and rituals in their everyday life when, for example, a lot of mosques are a lot of mosques are male-dominated. How women who follow a mystical f understanding of Islam are creating those spaces, historically, has been quite of inspiration to me. But also in the modern world, feminist queer thinkers like Gloria Anzaldo, she was the first person who coined the term spiritual activism. And what does she mean by spiritual activism? Spiritual activism is an active contribution to formation of spiritual communities that struggle for personal growth and social justice. And an uplifting experience that reconfigures the positions of marginalized groups within the context of current spirituality by providing a creative and engaged space for music, for poetry, for stories of commemoration and hope. Creating a spiritual consciousness that connects spirituality to the everyday experience of people, to their friendships to their families. This is in, in the context of a spiritual activism that 
the process of reinventing our spirituality allows us to reinvent ourselves, our human spirit, and provides us a platform to reconnect, to connect spirituality to the everyday experience of people and create spiritual-based communities. As Gloria Zaldua says, spiritual activism is a way of making connections not only to the physical, psychological, and spiritual worlds, but also to political realities. And I think that's what makes it different. If you're a person who are concerned and are observant about the political realities, the accompaniments that you choose, the causes and the people that you choose couldn't be apart from your spiritual consciousness. I would like to end this conversation with a poet, with the poetry of Rumi, a Sufi philosopher and poet of 13th century. He wrote, I believe we each make a covenant with God. May wherever you face, see the face of God. When I am with you, everything is a prayer. I am a prayer. You are the Amen. Thank you.